is September. It is uh, September 6, 2009. Our message this morning is called Set It and Forget It. Come on now. Y'all know that guy, Ron Popeil? He's got these uh, uh, giant hands that have uh, been on TV selling everything from Ginsu knives to his most famous one is that uh, Showtime rotisserie oven. And this is where the phrase comes from. Because he claims you can stick almost anything in there, right? You put it on the spit, and you set it, and forget it. Forget it. Yeah, how about that? And the best part of it is, you know, it sells for like, not, why is it that the youngest guy in here who does not cook knew that? <laughs> Somebody stays up till four in the morning watching TV. That's why. Look, the best part about the whole thing after set it and forget it is it's for only, how much? $19.99 or sometimes $99.95, right? But wait, there's more, right? This gets to be cliche-ish, right, this Ron Popeil guy. And uh, he's a prolific inventor. The message has nothing to do with him. It has to do with the idea of forget it or set it and forget it. So many times in church we want to have an experience that sets us on the right path and then forget about it and just go on and think that we're going to be okay on that path. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Tell me when you're there. If you're new in our church, sometimes we say there when we get to a scripture. It's based on the idea that when the Lord tells you to be somewhere, there is where your provision is. There is where your happiness is in being obedient. So, uh, y'all in Colossians 3.1? Yes. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. You ever try to set your radio station? It's easy now we're in the digital age. Do you remember when we had those dials? Right? Uh, I was blessed with a uh, Magnavox radio that was older than me when I uh, first got married. We didn't, we didn't have anything. Somebody took pity on us and gave us this old Magnavox radio. And you literally, it, it had a, a meter on it, and you pushed a button, and the little dial moved across to tune you in. I could not tune myself into anything that I wanted to hear. And why is it that the Christian stations always had the smallest bandwidth, right? The least influence. It can be difficult to set your heart on something. There's chairs, brothers. Y'all scoot. Make some room for our friends. Uh, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. How about that? In the setting your heart process, and by the way, setting your heart, heart in Hebrew is a leap. And it doesn't just mean the thing that beats in your chest. It means the center of a human being. When the Greeks picked up on this, they translated, translated lieb as cardo. And cardo is where we get the word cardiology for the study of the heart and all. But more than that, before it was ever the study of the heart, a cardo was the center of a Greek city. You can go to Greek ruins today, and the main drag between the columns that you see on movies is the cardo. In the very center of a human being, we have to set our hearts on Christ. Now, this presumes that you've already died with him so that you can be raised with him. If you have died with him, this means I'm tired of my own life. 
I'm tired of my own ways. The directions I've picked are not going well. I die to them. Now I'm being raised to walk in a new life with Christ. And the first thing that you do is you have to dial the very center of you in to him. This is in your spirit, but he doesn't stop there. He also says, set your minds. There's something that is not the very center of you. At times, I can know in my core, we would say, what is right, but my mind is at war with it. Have you ever been there? You know that what you should do is show kindness when somebody slapped you, but your mind is thinking of all the ways that you could retaliate. We don't just set our hearts, we also set our minds. And where do we set them? It's not just on what he did in the past. We set them, it says, where Christ is seated. This is picking a direction in the distance. The Bible both says that you are seated with Christ and also presents you as a sinner. How is that possible? How can you both be a saint and it be acknowledged that you sin? Because we are dying to one nature and setting our hearts, setting our minds on the resurrected nature of Christ. Amen. This is the direction in the distance. Has anybody ever traveled some distance? My brother Richard came from Puerto Rico. I love when he comes. He and I share a, uh, a love of cigars. And so this makes his visits very special to me, aside from our, our, our communication. But you cannot set out on a long journey and be even one degree off and never make a course correction and arrive there. You cannot do it. Listen, not only does he say set your heart and set your minds, there's another thing you must do. He says put to death your earthly nature. See, there is this thing that is trying to distract you all of the time. In your heart, you set apart Christ as Lord. In your mind, you begin to dwell upon his word. You aim your mind towards where he is seating, but there is still something that is pulling at you, trying to get you off course. This is every time that the flesh has, in the passionate moment of anger, in the passionate moment of whatever, has got you to take a step out of God's will. Do you know that the Hebrews never described their walk with God, never described their relationship with God, as creed? Never. They always described it as walking with God, walking in a direction with God called a highway. Enoch walked with God and was no more. Adam walked with God. Turn to Psalm 1 as, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked. There is a right way that you have to be dialed into. It is your actions that are inspired by your beliefs. And every once in a while, we have to put to death our fleshly nature. You've counted it crucified, but how many times have you called something dead only to see it rear its ugly head? Right? I will never do that again, Jesus, I promise. Uh-oh. Sometimes it's been a month, sometimes it's been a year, sometimes it's been an hour. What do you do? He doesn't say put it to death once and forget about it. It's not set it and forget it. You put it to death as many times as it rears its head. Listen, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander. How about that? Most of you have never committed murder. But you may have murdered somebody with your tongue. Maybe somebody even in this room. 
They say more pastors are eating after church than fried chicken. <laughs> but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed. I've always found that word hilarious, renewed, right? Either it's new or it's not. Now, in the Bible, it can be renewed. Look, this tithe is new and improved. But what do they do next year when they want to sell it to you again? <laughs> it's new again, right? They just don't call it renewed. The Bible's at least honest. I've been made new. I just soiled my garments. I need to be remade new. Isn't that amazing? How about that? The Bible anticipates your failure and yet says, push past it. I've called you to be perfect. Some would think that this was some kind of duplicitous lie. That there is uh, hypocrisy in this. No, hypocrisy is to not care where you're aimed. To call your actions righteous when they're not. To profess a desire and a love for the Lord, but not really be aimed at that. That's hypocrisy. What is not hypocrisy is to battle the two natures that are within you. To count one dead, although it seems to be breathing and speaking. To count it dead. To count the other one alive, although at times you can't touch it. You can't feel it. But to act just as if it is real and it's there. This is the biblical faith. And how are you renewed? In the image of the Creator. This presumes that the image of the Creator is the right path to walk. The way that Jesus walks is the way that we should walk. But every once in a while, you have to renew. Magnetic declination is something that anybody who has ever had to sail, anybody that's ever had to fly in a plane or travel a great distance has to get familiar with. When your compass points north in Florida, it is not pointing the exact same direction as a compass points when you're in California. And it points north. There's almost 30 degrees variance between true north and magnetic north, depending on which state you're in in the United States. So you can say I'm headed north, but if you never make a course correction, you'll not hit the geographical north. You understand the difference? If you're making a map, right? And you need to make sure that everything stays true to the way that it actually is upon the earth. Every once in a while, you have to take new soundings. In the military, they use an actual angle to do this. They actually write down, this is magnetic north, this is what north is uh, from a GPS, and here is the angular displacement for my course correction. When you want to find out about a course correction, what is that called in the Bible? It's repentance. It's teshuva. It means my direction's not quite right. It needs to be adjusted. If I'm walking from here to this brother... My course might not have to be addressed much. I could be a little bit off this way and still hit his left shoulder. A little bit off this way, still hit his right shoulder. But what happens when we put 70 years between us and I have to walk for that entire distance? I can't be off at all, can I? Anybody in here like billiards? Don't admit to it. <laughs> I meant playing at Elder Steve's house, billiards. Because I know none of you go to those other places to play billiards. You were all born in churches. Incubated in churches, raised in churches, right? Nobody's ever seen the inside of one of those other rooms. By the way, the first churches in Europe were bar rooms. They were bar rooms, and they used the same piano. That's how we get the tradition of the piano for praise and worship. Martin Luther actually moved the service back because he liked to drink. He had a hard time getting up on Sunday morning. I'm not endorsing it. I'm simply saying what Martin Luther did. Right? You can take it up with him one day. You just have to argue about it.
have to make course corrections here and there to be able to get where you're going to go. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.29. Y'all can go ahead and turn there. If we're going to be raised with Christ, it presumes you've already died with him. can't be resurrected without having died. If you're going to set your heart, your cardo, your spirit upon him, you need to be aimed at where he is seated. It's not enough simply to set your heart on him. There's another part of you, your mind. You must set your mind upon him. You must renew it with the word. To do this, you need to put to death your earthly nature. That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? My earthly nature is pretty darn stubborn. But I'm going to be more stubborn than it and constantly renew myself in the image of the Creator. Deuteronomy 5.29 addresses something. It addresses the evil inclination of a man's heart. If you ever heard the idea of tabula rasa, this was our great philosophers that were not so great. They said that a man is a blank slate and that his environment determines which way that he leans. I want you to know that the Bible completely opposes that point of view. A man is not a blank slate. He's crooked from birth. Crooked. In fact, if any of you don't have children, let me warn you something that will happen. As soon as that child is old enough to love you and say things like, Dada, right? And you have some interaction. You can say, did you do that? <laughs> when you know good and well they did because you watched them do it, right? As soon as they're old enough to see that there are two ice cream scoops here, one for their brother, one for them, they will want them both. They don't have to be taught that. It's bound up in our hearts, and discipline drives it from us. Because of this, in Deuteronomy 5.29, you can read it, it says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my mitzvahs, all my commandments, always, so that it may go well with them and their children after them. God is trying to make a course correction for his people. So he begins to lay out Torah. This, the word Torah, by the way, to a Jew is not just law. When you think of law, you think of, uh, if I go 56 miles an hour, there will be a penalty if I get caught. Except we all accept a grace period, right? Somewhere between, I don't know, 1 and 25 miles an hour? No, it doesn't work that way. Funny, wherever grace is, it's abused. Wherever grace is, it is abused. When we think of law, we think of rule and penalty. To the Eastern mindset, when you think of law, you think of the direction you should be aiming for. This is the, the Greek word for it is the telos of God, the thing at which God is aiming at. And he's trying to incline his people to walk rightly with him because their hearts are not inclined the right way. How about that? Now, it just so happens that when you put a laser level in a room, you find out that the walls are not true. You find out that the floor is crooked. And you can hate the walls and the floor, or you can hate the laser level. But there's only one thing there that is true, and that's the laser level. God's word is that way. You can despise it. You cannot like that it points out areas that you wish people didn't see. You cannot like that it tells you to do things differently than you do. But friends, it is flawless, and you are flawed. Turn with me to Psalm 62. that 
believes God's called him to be a teacher? I'm not asking you if you were. Do you know anyone? Yes. 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 It's good. It's okay. Y'all are allowed to talk. <laughs> you don't even have to raise your hand to speak. It's all right. Terms of agreement, all of those things, they're good things. You know? What happens when somebody says, I am called to be a teacher, but they don't study? Can you, could you say that what they're aimed at and where they're headed, what they say they're aimed at and where they're headed, are not going to arrive at the same place? Well, why would they get mad at you when you point that out? Because none of us want to be off course. But our lives depend upon the ability to make course corrections. This is how Christianity starts. It starts with you saying, my life's as good as sending me straight to death. I need a new direction. And if you started that way, why 20 years in is it harder to take a course correction? Should it be harder or easier, saints? If your walk started that way and your walk is based upon that, it should be easier 20 years in than it was in the first year, huh? Because you're used to it by now. What do you think it means, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? What goads? Goads that God was trying to poke him to steer him in the way that he should walk. This is why Isaiah says that there will be a highway that no wicked fool will walk upon. And his people will hear a voice saying, here is the way, or there is the way, walk in it. This is also how the Holy Spirit can be said to be a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Because he is that voice saying, John, do this. John, do that. John, do not do this. And if you listen to him, it guarantees that you hit the mark God has aimed at. Come on, how good is that? And you thought it was something mystical, like a... If I come have this experience at this altar with Pastor, then there's a seal in here. And hey, good to go. Set it and forget it. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. It's more than that. I know people powerfully saved. The problem is in the last decade, they've never had another experience like that. Can you imagine? I love my wife. What a wonderful wedding ceremony we've had. Sixteen years have passed. We have never had another good day. But, praise God, we're married. What kind of relationship would that be like? What kind of relationship would that be? And this is how many people's walk with God does. I don't want that to be us, saints. So we named us Life Changing Ministries. This is because we're allowing for your life to make course corrections constantly. And here's what we promise you. If you don't hate us... When you see us make course corrections, we will not hate you when we see that you need to make course corrections. We will love each other. We'll have mercy for each other. And mercy will triumph over judgment. If you're not familiar with that, read the second chapter of James. It is the perfect law or aim of God that mercy triumph over judgment. And if you see no way to get where you need to go, Micah 2.13 says we serve a God who breaks open a way where there is no way. And he leads out the people with praises, the Lord at their head. There is no reason not to get where we're called to go. Are you all in Psalm 62? Yes. I'm making a course correction. I'm getting back on track here. This psalm is written, and we don't know who uh, wrote it. It's just one that came down to us. But like most, we're going to attribute it to David. And one thing that is clear about this story is that it is a man who is under attack. He's teetering and tottering. He's leaning. He's nearly toppled over. But he sets his direction, he calls it his hope, upon God alone. 
The evil inclination, he throws aside. He doesn't want prestige, doesn't want wealth, doesn't want honor. He calls them all a lie. And he puts his hope in the strong, loving God and the reward that is waiting for him at the end of the journey. With that said, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long would you assault the man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in his lies. He's speaking about himself and people's desire to see him fall. Have you ever noticed that people take delight in that? They do. <laughs> So-and-so had a great ministry, but look where he ended up. So-and-so tried to pray for that person to get out of the wheelchair, and you know what? They didn't get out. What is it that makes people want to see someone else stumble? Could it be that when they walk right, it convicts us because we know there are areas of our lives that we're not right, and we like to see them a little more like us? What if we were all aimed at Jesus, and what we wanted to see was each one of us a little more like Jesus? Wouldn't that be a better idea? Yes. I come from a hometown where it's internationally renowned for a man of God that has stumbled. Nobody ever mentions the fact that he is still preaching, still in love with Jesus, and has been subject to more public ridicule than any human being that I can think of alive. Nobody ever mentions that. Nobody ever mentions seeing him on an airplane and an entire group of people heckling him. And he loves, cries, and prays for him. Right? And look, I'm not a publicist. I have no stake in this other than the name of Jesus. I'm just curious what it is about us. Could it be an evil inclination that makes us want to cast slur upon our brothers? Read Psalm 15 one time. It'll tell you who can ascend God's holy hill. The chief criterion is one who casts no slur upon his fellow man. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. <laughs> we preached about empty words not long ago. With their mouths they bless, and in their hearts they curse. You ever looked at somebody at a bank maybe that, that made an error or something, or in traffic, and you said, have a nice day. And what you really mean is I hope you drop dead right now. Yeah. No, you're not going to admit to it, but come on now. Let's be honest. You've been in one of those state lines, you know, number 497, and then you got up there and they went to lunch. <laughs> you say, well, you have a nice day too. Right? Or say thank you very much for something that you really mean thank you very little for. Right? We've all done that. This is not God's will for us. These people are saying bless you, but in their hearts they want to see him fall. Listen to the conclusion he comes to. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend upon God. Saints, that is one of the more freeing things that you can learn. My salvation, my honor depend upon God. If it depends upon God, why do you need to defend it? If it depends upon God, why do you need to fight for it and challenge everyone that would call it into question? Moses didn't even do that. He was the most humble man upon the planet. And who attacked him? His brother and his sister. His older brother and sister. How ugly is that? Do you think they learned their lesson? Do you think Miriam and Aaron learned their lesson? God spit in Miriam's face over it. 
Do you think they learned their lesson? It didn't take Moses doing anything, did it? Our salvation and our honor depend upon God. He said, but people have wronged me and God didn't take it. Well, you're not the head of a nation. Give him some time. It may take him a while to work his way this far out. Maybe you think too highly of yourself and you think God should defend you immediately. Maybe he wants to see whether you really love him and will stay on course without his encouragement in every moment. Right? Everybody can ride their bike with dad's hands on both sides of it. But how well do you ride it when dad's out of sight? Come on, saints. This is trust. This is what pleases him. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. The low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. You know, I love that. Because the guy who's saying it is high-born. And he's saying there's nothing noble about mankind except our God. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing together. They are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride. Take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Your heart can be set on a variety of things. Your heart can be set on what you've accumulated. Your heart can be set on what you are scared to lose. Your heart can be set on something that God never aimed at for you. I know more people that are unhappy because they believe they're called to be a pastor, or their wives believe they're called to be a pastor, and they're most obviously not. And so they're trying their whole lives to become something that God never aimed for them, and they are unhappy with what they actually are. There used to be a Bob Dylan song that had a lyric in it. Great joy comes to the desert when she blooms a single flower. Bloom where you are planted, because God can use you where you are. There is no glory in trying to be something that God never aimed us at. There is huge glory in taking full advantage of the direction he has aimed you. And if we're all aimed at Jesus, it's all going to be like him in some way. It's going to be serving others. It's going to be loving others. That kind of thing. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. That you, O oh God, are strong. Can we get an amen for that? Amen. amen. I heard a song the other day that said even white preachers would have to shout. <laughs> he warned that when suburbanites see Jesus, they might pass out when they find out he's not white. <laughs> And that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. God is both strong and he is loving. This is good news and it's bad news for you. The bad news is he is strong enough to help you make a course correction. He is strong enough to completely crush you if you refuse. There are a list of kings. and You know the last recorded words of Nebuchadnezzar and all of the Bible are, God is able to abase the proud. How did he find that out? He had a seven-year course correction where he was on his hands and knees, grew out his fingers like talons, his hair like feathers, and had lost his mind. That's quite a position for a noble-born person, isn't it? But he learned the lesson. I want to ask you, what does it take for you to learn the lesson? We're not going to read it, but Ezekiel 21 through 7 says Israel was set on course. They're set on a course, and they got off track. You know why? It says they set their eyes on vile images. He's speaking of idols, but I'm just curious what comes to your mind when I say vile images. A nation went into captivity for 70 years because their eyes were set upon the wrong thing. Meanwhile, the whole time going to the church of their day, the ecclesia, the group of called out ones, going to the gathering all of the time, Going to the words, 
reciting the words. In Ezekiel's day, the average Jew could easily quote five books of the Bible, the books of the Torah. But the whole nation began to miss its purpose because their eyes were set on vile things. I'm just curious if our definition of vile matches God's definition. How many times do we see something and shrug it off with a polite laugh that God calls vile? That's strange. If your mind immediately went to pornography, that's the most obvious. You know, there are six things the Lord says he hates. And if you look hard, you'll find almost every one of them in your average church. What do we do when what is vile is honored among men? It's time to make a course correction, saints. It's time to make a course correction. Malachi 2.2 also, 2.2, like Bishop Desmond 2.2. Malachi 2.2 warns that the priesthood itself would become cursed if they refused to listen and set their hearts on the Lord. The very next sentence says, and you are cursed because you have not done this. Boy, that's scary, huh? So back to our radio dot. If we had a big radio up here, which I'd planned to bring, and these days we all have iPods and stuff, and the analogy just doesn't work the same, right? <laughs> so imagine that it's 1980 and I have a big jam box on my shoulder, right? 1980? Yeah. So I got on the parachute pants, you know? Abel says, no, you never owned them. <laughs> Carrying a cardboard around to put out to do my break dancing thing. <laughs> I actually never did that. I was a roller skate guy. Mom would never buy me the parachute pants. Good mom. Good mom. You don't have to yield to every fad. Keep your children aimed to where they're supposed to be going. Sorry, teenagers. Now watch this. You got this big jam box up here, right? The difference to get you on one station that let's just say is death metal. I don't know what they call it, death metal, but death metal, and another that, uh, let's just say is Beethoven, or Bach, right? Might just be a very small change. Might just be a tiny change. The fact that it's tiny, does that make it insignificant? Not at all. The little things that we do in our life are what makes all the difference in our life. I gave this example not long ago, and I don't want to run it in the ground, but I doubt anybody in here has been bitten by an elephant, the largest land animal in the world. All of you have probably been bitten by a mosquito. The little things make impacts in our lives. I'm encouraging you, saints, to search your hearts. I'm encouraging you to compare yourself with what you're aimed at. Say, how do I get from here to there? Lord, show me by your word. And then make the little course corrections, whether people see them or not. Because it is the Lord who works in you and through you and for you to achieve his purpose for you. That's Psalm 138, 8. Turn with me to Daniel 10. I want to encourage you about setting your heart. I'm going to try to move on from the negative. I have a tendency to dwell in the negative. But we're going to make a course correction. I'm loving this. If I let it go, everybody will eventually be there. Can you believe that Huge groups of our churches today are scared to even tell people to turn in their Bible. They put it on a screen and don't mention it because it's not seeker-friendly. I don't know about you, but if you use a certain kind of bait, you catch a certain kind of fish. <laughs> and I don't think I want to spend eternity with people that are offended by turning in the Word. Right? And we're not going to look down on you if you didn't bring a Bible. I'm going to assume you have it memorized. I'm going to think the best of you. <laughs> but if you're offended with God's Word, you're not going to do very well with God's King. Or his people. You all in Daniel 10? Yes. Daniel 10, verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you 
who are highly esteemed. Come on, what kind of greeting is that? You who are highly esteemed. Wouldn't you like a heavenly messenger to show up in your house and say, Brad, you who are highly esteemed, Gabriel. Well, it would be Gabriel coming. But Gabriel talking to our Gabriel says, you who are highly esteemed. Wouldn't that be good news? I mean, nobody's going to say, oh, sorry, not home. Close the door, huh? I mean, that is a good greeting. That's the kind of thing you would want to aim for. Well, how did he get there? Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up. For I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. Do you think Daniel prayed and five minutes later the angel showed up? Was it like Burger King? You stop at one order, you say the way you want it, and at the next window, it better be there, or you have a number to complain. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Daniel set his mind towards God. He humbled himself. This is a correction that occurs in the very center of a human being. And he waited 21 days to get the answer to this problem. 21 days. What would happen if he waited 20 days? Might not have got his answer. Saints, it is often a struggle to keep yourself aimed at what you should be aimed at. But in the end, if God has to send the archangel Michael to help you to get the answer, he will do it. It is worth it. You know what else is worth it? To have heaven think of you as highly esteemed. Come on, do you want the praise of men or do you want the praise of your father? What a question. Highly esteemed. You know that in the book of Acts, even the demons knew Paul's name? I don't want any praise from that realm. Not at all. Don't even want to be associated with it. But it is kind of a comforting thought that they knew who he was. They had to take note of the man's life, his direction, and his aim because he was running over them. Reinhard Bunker often says, you pray for God's will and I will run you over from behind because I will do God's will. I love that attitude. So often God has already shown us our aim. Instead, we're paralyzed in fear saying, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? It's really not that hard. You live in the way that he's called you to live, and you find yourself doing what God's called you to. I don't have to try to be a pastor. It's what I am. I don't have to try to be a pastor any more than an apple tree has to try to produce apples. If I stay grounded in fellowship, if I stay watered by his word, if I stay nurtured in the light of the son's presence, it's going to happen. You understand? You don't have to strive to be something. All you have to do is stay on the course that he's put you on. Turn with me to Luke 12. We're going to jump subjects here in a minute, but I need to squeeze one more scripture into here. I want to brag on John and Joy for a minute, mostly because it's not possible to see them turn red. This couple came to me. And they had no church background. You don't know what a blessing that is. 
The most... I almost described the cylinder with an inclined plane wrapped around it. Can you say that in church, Matt? Matt says yes. The most screwed up people you will ever meet have spent their whole lives in church. You know why? Because when you get used to laying down right next to the presence of God and being unchanged by it, it produces a warped individual. It really does. Somebody whose heart is callous towards the things that God's heart is not callous to. This is why where Christianity has been the longest, the society has become dead with it. Go look at Europe. But where Christianity is just springing up, it's vibrant. Saints, we need to be renewed. We need to be renewed. I couldn't get over that when I got radically born again, within six months, I knew more of the Word than most of the people around me, but they could tell me how many years they'd been saved. I've been saved 23 years. Great. What have you done? We need to knock the dust off of our Bibles. We need to knock the dust off of our hearts. We need to be like we were when we were first born again. Keith Green used to say, Lord, give me baby skin on my heart. What a good prayer. What a good prayer. You all in Luke 12? Luke 12, 27. Consider how the lilies grow. I did a baby dedication for a little girl named Lily. And it was hard not to think of that scripture alone. By the way, my bragging on John and Joy, I didn't finish and I need to. What I liked about them being unchurched is they came to me one time and they had kind of a list of grievances against each other. Small list, because these are nearly perfect people. (laughs) He said, but he does this, this, and this. And he said, but she does this, this, and this. And I opened the Corinthians 13 and I had them read it. And they went, oh. And they both crumpled up their list. The meeting was over. They simply didn't know that the Word said that. And as soon as they found out love keeps no record of wrongs, guess what? They didn't. Now, you tell me the difference between Buddhists who just got spirit-filled and their whole lives changed and somebody who's been in a quote-unquote spirit-filled church for 20 years. One's heard it many times and it doesn't even make a dent anymore. The other heard it for the first time and treated it as precious. Saints, it needs to be precious to us. The Word of God is precious. Consider the lilies and how they grow. They do not labor or spin. They're not trying to be lilies. They just are. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how the God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? I don't have time to teach on it today, but do you know that Romans 13, 14 says, Be clothed with Christ. You know, it's amazing because Jews knew that they were supposed to be clothed with something. Isaiah 61.10 said, I will clothe you with salvation. You know what the mystery was? The mystery was that being clothed with salvation, literally in Hebrew, is clothed with Yeshua, God's salvation. They knew that they needed to be saved. They just didn't know that the Christ, Yeshua, was the clothing and salvation. Now that we know it, let us do it. He will clothe you. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. It's not important, saints. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need him. God is going to feed you. He's going to clothe you, not just physically. He will clothe you with salvation. Yeshua. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about making a course correction. 
Not getting off track with what all you need now. What all you think should be done now. You put his kingdom first and everything that you need is added to you along the way. It's like a self-correcting compass. It's wonderful. You know, they have a bezel on many compasses so that you can make those corrections. I have no idea how to use it. <laughs> this is what I would be like if I were given a Bible and did not have the Holy Spirit's aid. I'd be like, great, love your enemy. How do I do that? But the Holy Spirit will show you in each situation how to do that. One time he might have you wash their feet. Another time he might have you cut their grass. Another time he may simply have you stand at a distance and pray. You know, but it is his role to do that. Tell you what, turn with me to John 10 while we're in the New Testament. I don't get here that often, so I figure we'll dwell here for a moment. One of the reasons that I hope we can all make our course corrections, that we don't simply set it and forget it, is the better part of the Christian gospel, our leaders, our examples in it, are all about men who had changes of direction. Uh, We're not going to read it, but how about the parable of the Good Samaritan? A man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, right? Jericho represents the world. Jerusalem represents the kingdom of God. He's headed from the kingdom of God down into the world. That's being on the right road, the one from the world to the kingdom of God, and headed the wrong direction. But what did God provide for him? A beating and a healing. He provided a difficult experience that would cause him to stop, be in need, so that he could, God could, provide for that need. And you know who did not be God's hands and feet in that scenario? The Levites and the priests. The people who had been in church all their life. But who did? The one they considered a dog. A Samaritan. Do you hear how that story is about a change of direction? How about Saul Paulus of Tarsus? Story about a change of direction. The very message that Jesus began to speak is repent. That's change your direction. The kingdom of God is upon you. Right? The direction that you're supposed to be headed is enveloping you now if you'll receive it. What an important story. In John 10, I want to tell you what is at stake here. Read with me on the 33rd verse. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews. Actually, it's starting 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied Jesus, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Sometimes in false humility, men of God say things like, I'm just a man. I want you to understand something. The Bible has you aimed at something far more than just a man. The Bible in Ephesians 2 says you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. When I read you in Colossians, it says that your hope, is set, your heart and your mind are set upon Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. Is Jesus any regular man? That's what they're accusing him of here. He's really not. He's a man who only does the will of God. He doesn't even yield to the evil inclination found in most people. And because he only does the will of God, death had no hold on him. The hope of Christianity is that death has no hold on you because you are buried in Jesus. And raised in Jesus. Mere man. You ought to be something more than a mere man. You ever see those little cats on TV? Those little meerkats? You know, all the time they're looking out of their hole to see what eats them. 
right? They don't go kill and eat anything. They only get eaten, right? And so the show is about this one got killed and eaten, and then some has puppies, and you get excited, and then they get killed. That's like watching Western civilization. They're all eating each other. But we are called to be more than mere men. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. Now don't go all cultish on me. Psalm 82 says, God presides in the assembly of the gods. Speaking about his people. Little chips off the bigger block. And he says, you guys are going to die like mere men because you don't do the things of God. He says, why are you not taking up the cause of the weak and the oppressed? Why are you not fighting for justice? Why are you not loosening the chains of those that are bound? These are the things that God does. Saints, when we get off course, we are not doing the things that God would do. Listen to how boldly Jesus can say this. He says, uh, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. How would you like to be put to that test? Do not believe that I am a Christian unless you see me do what Jesus does. How would you like to be put to that test? Well, you did good on Sunday. How about Monday? How about Tuesday? Can you imagine standing up before a nation of people? The same man also said, if any of you can prove me guilty of sin, point it out. It was hushed silence. Saints, we need to examine what we're aimed at. Because the word says to be holy as he's holy. To be perfect as he is perfect. And it's not okay to be close. Close might be the completely wrong station. I don't think I want to take you through all of these. I want to tell you about some of them. You can write them down. If you take good notes, there's a message in each one of these. Mere man would be a great message. Another one comes from Joshua 10. It's 16 through 26. Joshua took five Amorite kings, five of them, and he had them locked into a cave. They had made war on Israel. And when the people caught them, he said, lock them in a cave. Wait for every single man, woman, and child in Israel to get here. It's kind of a strange thing to do, huh? Why not just when you caught your enemy, kill him? He opened the cave. And he had every man, woman, and child in Israel come and put their feet on the necks of those kings. He wanted every single Israelite. By the way, Joshua's name, Hoshea, is the same as Yeshua. They're, they mean the exact same thing. He wanted every single man, woman, and child in Israel to realize that any enemy they had was already beneath their feet. And after every man, woman, and child had passed through, he put those Vikings to death. Saints, we need to put to death our earthly nature. It is already beneath our feet. Why do we let it reign in us any longer? It's being corrupted around us all of the time. I'm getting new gray hairs every day. And I'm just happy to have some hairs. But inside I'm being renewed. I will not let what is rotting rule that which will endure forever. Come on now, it's beneath your feet. First yes. Samuel 14 has Jonathan. I'm going to tell you this story again. We'll read one last one here in a minute. Has Jonathan.
as Jonathan. And Jonathan is aimed at something. In Jonathan's life, Jonathan is aimed at warfare with the Philistines. Do you know why Jonathan was aimed at warfare with the Philistines? Because Israel was at war and he was the king's son. Are you at war? Are you the king's son? See, there is a kingdom of darkness warring against a kingdom of light. And you are the king's son. You are supposed to be at war with those God is at war with. So Jonathan looks up in the distance. God hasn't said, I want you to go attack this Philistine outpost at Michmash. He just sees Philistines. He saw something that he was supposed to be at war with. And even though God hadn't said it, he wanted to go to war. Because that's the direction he was aimed at. So he looks at his armor bearer. And he says, hey, you know what? I know there's two of us. And there's thousands of them. But if they invite us up to fight, we'll know that God's going to whip them for us. Is that the kind of police you throw out when things are difficult? (laughs) Or would it go the other way? If they don't want to fight with us, we'll know God's with us. Thousands of them, two of you. It's because he wanted to be about the business God had him at. So God provided for him an armor bearer that says, I am with you, heart and soul. Let's do whatever you have in mind to do. Brothers, you are not supposed to do whatever your brother has in mind to do unless his mind is that of Christ. And Corinthians 2 says we have the mind of Christ. This is how somebody like Paul can have a vision and then Luther can say, we concluded God had called us to go. That's Acts 16. You see how the word gets in us? You hide it in your heart and it just naturally comes out. That's All of you should be about this business. Back to Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's a problem. There's a pass that they have to go through. One is bosus. This means thorn bush and represents suffering. The other pass just to the north of it that they have to go through is Sina. It's where the victory is going to come. It means shining. See, all men of God have to go through both suffering and glory to accomplish God's will. All of us have to do that. If you're not willing to endure the difficult things, you will never arrive where you are called at. A worship leader recently said, you want to do what I do, but you are not willing to do what I did. Saints, that is worth thinking about. It's worth dwelling on. If the Lord has aimed me at this, what am I willing to do to get there? You might sacrifice your own feelings. You might sacrifice your hurt feelings. You might sacrifice what you think of as your reputation and all of those things. Wasn't it all crucified in Christ anyway? You might be willing to humble yourself so that heaven can highly esteem you. I think the last one, the one that we ought to turn to, is Judges 1. in Leviticus 8 and what's in Leviticus 14, so this will make sense. In Leviticus 8, Moses anointed Aaron. He anointed Aaron with oil. And then he had Aaron anoint his sons with both oil and blood. The blood and the spirit. Do you know where they were anointed with blood? It's the right thumb, the right big toe, and the right earlobe. This is because redemption is supposed to shape everything that we hear. We have the ability to hear from God. Redemption is supposed to shape shape the strength of our right hand. Redemption is supposed to shape 
the walk that we have with God on our strongest foot, the strongest toe. Leviticus 14 speaks of somebody healed of leprosy. And this is the markings of someone healed of leprosy. Pick up with me then in Judges 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. I'm in Joshua and I need to be in Judges. I didn't think that made sense. Why didn't y'all catch me? Did I tell you to go to Joshua? Joshua, or Judges 1, rather. After the death of Joshua, see, we're the wrong leader. The Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? What a great question. You have a battle to fight. Who is supposed to go first? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. The first thing that we send in our battle to stay aimed at where we're supposed to be aimed at is praise. Judah is always representative of praise in the Bible. Then the men of Judah said to Simeonites, their brothers. Simeon means he who hears from God. Your ability to praise God in any situation is a brother or is akin to your ability to hear from God. Most of the time when we cannot hear from God, it's because we are not praising God. Don't think that you can grumble at the king of the universe about your circumstances and then hear from him about how to improve them. It doesn't work that way. He requires you to praise him in your circumstances, and then you will hear from heaven about what to do. Watch what what they face. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, Come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai, Bezek, and fought against him. Do you recognize the word Adonai? Adonai means owner, controller. It's the word that we use most often for Lord in the Bible. It means my master. They found Adonai, Bezek. Did you notice in your Bible it's spelled a little differently? A-D-O-N-I, not N-A-I. This is because our English translators wanted us to see a difference between the real Adonai and Adonai Bezek. But in Hebrew it's the exact same word. So what do you do when you have a Lord, an owner and controller, who is not really your owner and controller? Adonai Bezek. Bezek means lightning. The false god of lightning was at war with people's ability to hear from God and praise God. And what did he want to do to them? Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Does that seem like an odd detail to you? Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. There is a false god of lightning who wants to cut off your thumbs and toes. And he wants to do this because it's what you work with your hands for God. It's the direction that you walk with God. It symbolizes what you are anointed to do. He wants to get you off course. He wants to humiliate you. 
why wouldn't he have just killed these kids? Better than the devil killing a Christian. For his purposes is when he can humiliate a Christian and have them begging for scraps under his table, no longer appearing to be anointed, no longer out aimed at what they're called to be aimed at. Instead, they've lost everything that makes them unique. They've lost everything that caused them to walk rightly with God. And they're begging for scraps. How sad would that be? But it was the ability to praise, the ability to hear from God that caught this one. And he killed them so that he couldn't do it anymore. We serve a God that can not only put back on your toes and fingers and recircumcise your hearts and your ears, but we serve a God who's already put our foot on the neck of the enemy. The question is, will you step where he's told you to step? Will you be aimed at what he's told you to aim at? Our last scripture, and then our brother's going to lead us in a worship song, comes from 1 Peter 1. It'll be verse 13. Therefore, y'all don't turn, listen. I rarely lie when I'm preaching. I'm almost guaranteed to get this right because I'm going to read it to you. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Come on, saints. If you were at a football game about to go out on the field, you'd be thinking about what your assignment was. Those of you that were in the military never went into a firefight without making sure that you had the things that you needed. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Flesh cannot reign over you. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is to be revealed. You set your direction on what is at the end so that you can endure whatever is at the present. This is how somebody like Paul says, my light and momentary troubles are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. He had his heart set on what was at the end. And it made whatever was between here and there worth it. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Even if you were ignorant before you walked in this room, you are not ignorant now. Are you still going to conform to ignorant ways? Or will you adjust your aim? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in a few of the things that you do. So be holy in all you do. Every relationship, every time, everywhere. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Our God wants to use us to do amazing things more than mere men could ever accomplish. You are not mere men. The question is, will we make the adjustments within ourselves to get there? Now stand to your feet and we will pray and worship you. early and most of you won't have anywhere to drive to go eat because we've got food here. It's worth taking a few minutes and letting this this seed work into the soil of your heart. Push off the desire just to sprint out the door and go about your business. How many messages have you already heard and done that way? How many messages have you heard and walked away unchanged? Let this one get into you. We'll all be blessed for it. I'm inspired by your walk when it's right. And I hope you are mine. That's our goal. Let's worship.
We want your ways in our lives. Mighty God, you have made us participators in your divine nature. Your holy apostles wrote about us. Lord, we want to participate in your will through our actions. Lord, in every way, we're asking that you would set us on the direction that you have for us. That you would make our course corrections and give us the strength to carry them out. In the name of Jesus, we ask your blessings upon this group of people, Lord. That your power would be upon them, protecting them as they go in and as they come out, making their faces to shine. Lord, let your kingdom receive glory through their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, now I'm hungry. Let's eat. We got food.